The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. I honestly believe that a dead Sheila Walsh would be easier to handle in the Christian community than a divorced one. And the only thing really that stopped me was the thought of my mom receiving another phone call telling her that someone else she loved had disappeared under the water. I just couldn't do that to her. Sheila Walsh helps us come to terms with shattered dreams and insurmountable disappointments in our relentless longing for happiness. Next on Life Today. I'm Sheila Walsh and welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. Um, if you've been with us the last two or three weeks, you know that um, we're doing a teaching series called The Longing in Me. I had the privilege of flying away out to, to the Oregon, the North Oregon coast. I don't know if you've ever been there, but boy, it is stunningly beautiful. And there's something about the wildness of the sea there that just seemed so perfect. It seemed a perfect setting to talk about the longings that sometimes rage inside of us. I want to be able to get this to you, to put this in your hands, and I'll tell you how in just a little bit. But today we're going to talk about something that we hear a lot in our culture, the longing for happiness. The next time you listen to commercials, pay attention and see how often the word deserve comes up. You know, you deserve to be happy. You deserve to have this car. It's absolutely ridiculous. We don't deserve that. We live in this beautiful country with so many wonderful gifts, but we take so much for granted. And we're told, you know, if you have this, it'll make you happy. If you have that, it'll make you happy. But maybe you know in your own life, that's just really not ringing true. Maybe even as you're flicking through channels today and you stopped because you thought, wow, that's a bright jacket lady. Let me just tell you, if you're not doing well right now, we have people here who would love to pray for you. You can call that number on the screen. I've been over there and met them. They're awesome. They're really awesome people who would just love to simply, you don't have to sit, give us a lot of information. We're not trying to hook you into something. We just want you to know as you are right now, God really loves you. And the kind of happiness that God offers is really different. You know, the kind of happiness you might get from a pint of Haagen-Dazs goes pretty quickly. Don't ask me how I know that. But the kind of happiness that God offers is something that nothing else can shake. I've discovered you can actually know real joy, real joy in the midst of the stormiest times in life. You know, we've been studying the life of King David. And one of the things I love most about King David was that he's identified as a man after God's own heart. Pretty amazing when you think how much he messed up. So that's why I wanted us to take a look at the life of King David and see what he knew and what maybe we can learn. Watch this. I'm standing on a little piece of land that juts out in the ocean where it meets the Columbia River. It's called Cape Disappointment, a terrible name for a desolate piece of rock like this. But when you consider that this cape averages 106 days of fog each year, the name seems appropriate. It is in fact one of the foggiest places in the United States. 
The Cape was given its name in 1788 when the English explorer John Mears got caught in a storm as he was searching for the mouth of the Columbia River. He named the nearby headland Cape Disappointment out of his failure to find the river. This lighthouse was built to guide sailors through the fog and warn them of the treacherous river bar just off the coast. Over the years, this bar had come to be known as the graveyard of the Pacific. In my own life, my pursuit of happiness was a little like those sailors searching for a safe harbor in the fog. Before John and I married, I had a very idealistic, you can say foggy idea about what our life together would be. And years later, as our marriage was falling apart, I finally realized I'd never achieved that happiness I'd hoped for. As the situation deteriorated, John made it very clear that he had the power to destroy my ministry and my music career. I'd just finished a new Christmas CD and my vocals were taken off and the tracks given to another artist. This was just the first of many blows that left me reeling. One night, I stood at the end of our boat dock, thinking how easy it would be to just quietly slip into the water. I honestly believed that a dead Sheila Walsh would be easier to handle in the Christian community than a divorced one. And the only thing really that stopped me was the thought of my mom receiving another phone call telling her that someone else she loved had disappeared under the water. I just couldn't do that to her. Instead, I ended up checking myself into a psychiatric hospital, and that place became my safe harbor, where in quiet and solitude, I could press into God. So let's do a little recap on David's story. David was about 17 years old when Samuel anointed him. For a brief time, the boy returned to his flock. Then came that turning point where he killed Goliath and went to King Saul's palace. Those glory days were short-lived, for soon David had to run for his life. He fled for 13 years before he received news that King Saul was dead. In a tragic end to the king's life, he'd thrown himself on his own sword. Now it looked as if the way was finally clear for David to claim the throne of Israel, but David didn't immediately march into Jerusalem. Those years in dark, lonely places and foreign soil had clarified his heart and ears to listen for God's voice. So he asked God if he should go back to Judah. Instead, God told him to go to Hebron, so David and his men went to that town. It's about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. For seven and a half years, he stayed there with a very limited reign over Judah. David was content to stay where God told him to for as long as it took. Well, finally, the elders of Israel came to David and made him king over all of Israel. I mean, did you catch all of that? That's 20 years from the promise until the fulfillment. Once David became king, everything flourished under his leadership. But prosperity wasn't enough for David. He started to give free reign to his desires. While David may have been content to wait on God during those seven and a half years in Hebron, he made some bad choices during that time. And once he was king in Jerusalem, he added five more wives to the one he had. David's strength was his passion but it was also his Achilles heel. 
Perhaps if David had given his whole heart to one woman, he would not have been tempted that day when he decided to stay home from war. Perhaps if he loved her and their children, his home would not have been a place where rebellion festered. David was the greatest king that Israel would ever have, but God's word records that he failed in his role as a husband and as a father. In the years to come, all of David's trouble would be the direct result of his rebellious and undisciplined sons. David was an amazing warrior king. Warring was his strength, but it seems he'd lost the vision for his true calling. When the time came for a battle, he decided to send his general off to the fight in his stead while he lounged around his magnificent palace. You know, sometimes when we're not actively moving in our gifts, we get restless. And that's what happened to David. If David had been performing what he was uniquely called and equipped to do, he would never have been on his roof one night watching another man's wife bathing. The David we've come to know and love would have been leading the charge in war, fueled by his passion for God and hatred for the enemies of the Lord. David never refused to go into battle while his enemy Saul hunted him. So long as someone stalked him like a wild animal, David's character remained spotless and his passion fierce. But now that same heart had lost its edge. David had drifted and lost his way in the fog. He wasn't looking for evil. He just wasn't living where he should have been. Those empty, unguarded hours gave space for evil to make its enticing proposition in the form of a bathing woman. The shocking thing about all of this is how easy it was for David to fall into sin. He was a godly man, a man who refused time after time to step outside of God's plan for his life, no matter what it cost him. He'd spent years in caves and fields, hungry, and at times all alone, and yet he stayed true. But now, things in his life were easy. He saw no perceivable enemy, and that's when his real enemy showed up. David has separated himself from his tribe, his people, and made the enemy's job so much easier. The danger of personal isolation is one of the most tragic lessons from King David's life. At the point when he should have been his strongest, his sexual passions led him down a path of destruction. David sent a servant to find out about the beautiful woman on the rooftop. Now, notice the quietly veiled warning in the report he brought back to David. She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Well, in those days, if you inquired about someone, you would be told the name of the person and often their father, but never their spouse. But this servant knew his master well and was trying to warn him. Uriah wasn't simply a soldier in David's army. He was one of an elite squad, the best of the best in military terms. At times, these soldiers served as the king's personal bodyguard. David knew this loyal man and depended on him, but that didn't stop his plan. At that moment, all he knew was this, he wanted Bathsheba. So he took her. There's a profound warning here. 
It's easy to sit in the comfort of our lives and think, well, I'd never do that, or I'll never crash on that shore. I believe every single one of us is capable of the most blatant sin given the right set of circumstances. The only thing that will save us in a moment like that is to turn around and run from it with everything that's in us. Don't walk, run. So often what we think will make us happy brings nothing but heartache. In light of impending heartache, what would David do now? He had two choices. He could confess his sin to Uriah and ask to be forgiven for what appears to be a one night stand or he could cover up the affair, and that's the option he chose. Life only got worse from that point on. Why? Because panic is a poor foundation for making decisions. David didn't think twice about sleeping with Bathsheba, but now he had no desire to get caught, so he sent for Uriah. His plan was to bring Uriah home from battle for a night, anticipating that he would sleep with his wife. She would conceive, and everyone would assume the child was his. But David underestimated Uriah. This was not a common soldier or an ordinary man. He'd served David since the early days when David ran from Saul. Although a Hittite by birth, his parents probably converted to Judaism since the name Uriah means, my light is the Lord. Uriah still considered himself to be in battle mode so he refused to go home. He slept at the door of King David's house with the servants. David could steal Uriah's wife, but he could not manipulate Uriah's heart. At this point, the story takes a very dark and somber twist. When David realizes he couldn't bend this godly man to his will, he decided to kill him instead. He sent Uriah back to the battle with a note for Joab, ordering him to ensure that Uriah would be killed in battle. Essentially, he made Uriah carry his own death warrant. And not only that, but he handed Joab the perfect ammunition for blackmail. David would live to regret this murderous deception. David got what he thought he needed to make him happy. He went after what he longed for, Bathsheba. And when Uriah died in battle, David could have her free and clear with no one the wiser. But think about this whole situation for a moment. What David did, apart from being evil, it made no sense. If Uriah had come back from battle and discovered his wife was pregnant, why would he have suspected David? When we panic and try to cover up our steps, we open ourselves to crazy thinking. Telling the cold, hard truth when we've deliberately sinned is hard to do, but it is so much better than the wall of lies we build to try and cover ourselves. Why? Because those walls will always fall on us. We wrongly think the truth will destroy us. It may hurt us in the short term, but it won't destroy us. That is the territory of the enemy Perhaps you are where David was. What do you do when that one thing you longed for turns on you like a venom-filled snake? Is your life over? Have you ruined God's plan? Far from it.
of the greatest messages of the gospel, one of the most profound truths that I have, I'm continuing to learn honestly, is that it's not about us. It's never been about us getting it right. It's about Christ who makes us right. You know, Tozer um, wrote a, a sentence I find fascinating. He says, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Think about that. When you think about God, what comes to your mind? Do you think he's disappointed in you? Do you think he disapproves of you? Do you think he disapproves of your lifestyle? Unless we get that question right, nothing else will fall into place. Because the truth of the gospel is that Christ himself took on all our sin, everything that separates us from God. He became shame. He who knew no shame took our shame upon him so that you and I could be free. It's called grace, unmerited favor. And what I've discovered in my own life is that the, the more you receive that grace, the more you want that for other people. I, there's a mystery in all of God's ways. When you look for things that make you happy, so often you end up miserable. But somehow, when you look to others to see what can I do to change your life, there's, you catch a reflection of yourself in the mirror and discover you're smiling. That's what we're all about here at Life Today. And as we get close to the Christmas season, what's really on my heart is to be able to do something for children who will not get any presents on Christmas Day. Well, they wouldn't have anyway, unless you and I intervene. And so because I want to get this teaching to you for any gift at all, if you send us any gift at all, we're gonna send you this darling little blue. It might look like it's, um, like if you dropped it, it would smash, but it's quite solid, it's lovely. I'm gonna put it on my tree. Any gift at all, we'll send you that and we'll send you the DVD teaching series. Uh, and I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about what else, but honestly, when you see the look on a child's face when he gets his first pair of shoes, it's amazing. But what's even more amazing and life-changing is when you're able to give a child who's born with cleft palate surgery. There's something about when we were over in Angola, we met um, a couple of children who were struggling with that. And it was interesting because all the other children in the line, I had the privilege of personally feeding them and giving them a bowl of food. They all made eye contact and smiled. But there was one little girl in particular and she wouldn't raise her head. And when I looked at her, she kind of slipped away. I realized why. We can change that. We can make a huge difference. Wouldn't it make Christmas so much more beautiful instead of receiving gifts if you and I became the gift others. Watch this. In 2008, many of you began partnering with Life Outreach to provide children with new pairs of shoes at Christmas, as well as corrective surgery for those born with cleft palates. Ever since, we've witnessed firsthand the benefits of Christmas shoes and smiles on their health and quality of life. Recently, while distributing these shoes, Life's mission team had the privilege of blessing a group of children with an extra special act of kindness. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for Estella, and we pray that you will just protect her, and may these shoes guide her along the journey, but may she, most of all, may she find you, and may she experience your love. 
And God, I pray for Desiree today. I just pray that he'll just enjoy his new shoes that have been given. So please use these shoes in his life in a very special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Some of these children today were putting these shoes on their feet. You can almost feel their feet just grabbing the shoe. They love it so much. And I want to take just a moment to thank all those who have given to have a special impact on the lives of these children. You are changing lives today. With so many dangers to unprotected feet, a difference a pair of shoes makes in a child's physical health is obvious. And with your help, children like these can experience the love of God firsthand. You know, Sundays we have to bring you some pretty heartbreaking footage, and it's real. I've seen it with my own eyes. Every now and again, it's great to bring you something like that. When you see the joy that something so simple does in the life of a child, so great to see Ralph and his wife washing these children's feet before they put the shoes on. Do you remember what Christ did? His very last act with his closest friends before he set his face towards Calvary. He washed his disciples' feet. There's something profoundly spiritual about that. I've watched these little ones who walk over all sorts of broken stones and rough places and have their feet in these disease-ridden water. I mean, I, I bent down beside one of the places where the children were gathering water to drink, and it was just, it was filthy. I couldn't believe it. But I looked at them, and they were all, they all had bare feet, and they're just walking around in this water. And that's where they contract so many diseases. But we can make a difference. If you send in any gift at all, what we're going to do is we'll give you my series, uh, The Longing in Me, a study in the life of King David, and we will send you this darling little blue shoe. Now, if you're able to give us 180 which will provide 50 pairs of shoes. That's amazing. We'll send you this. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's all the different Christmas shoes we've done throughout the years. And every time you hang them on your tree, it'll be a wonderful reminder to pray for these children. But also, can you imagine what it's like if you look down in the water and you see your reflection and what you see horrifies you? That's the reality of cleft lip. I mean, it's just, it's a terrible thing when a child needs a cleft palate surgery. But do you know that for $500, we can provide one surgery? That's what my husband Barry and I have decided this year, that rather than trying to think, what on earth do you need, because you don't actually need anything, um, that Barry's gift to me is one surgery for a child, and my gift to him is one surgery for a child. What a joy. So often the holiday season is associated with excess. And you think perhaps that we as a church would be different, but, but so often we're not. We're tempted. I mean, I had, I had this memory of me growing up in Scotland, running around like a loony on Christmas Eve, because I know the shops are going to close in 30 minutes, and what have, what have I not got? And I remember getting home and sitting down and thinking, well, joy to the world. What is wrong with you? We could change that. We could turn, you know, we could actually make Christmas back into what it's supposed to be. Rejoicing that Christ has come. And because he's come, we can make a, a difference in the life of others. We get to help these kids. We get to pray for them. We get to do so much. But we can only do it when you take our hands and we'll do it together. Poverty is a killer, and because of it, children needlessly suffer, not only from a lack of food and clean water, 
but also from a lack of things we take for granted, such as a healthy smile or a simple pair of shoes. For most of these children, they've never owned a new pair of shoes. And while that may seem minor in the light of all their needs, walking with bare feet puts them at risk of life-threatening infections that could lead to crippling consequences, disease, and even death. By responding today, you can help life immediately secure and begin shipping Christmas shoes to 150,000 children around the world, just in time for the holidays. Your gift of $36 will help provide 10 pairs of shoes. A gift of $72 will help provide 20 pair. And a gift of $180 will help provide 50 pairs of Christmas shoes for children in need. With your gift of any amount, be sure to request this beautifully crafted blue metal shoe ornament, a treasure to place on your tree each holiday season. With your gift of $180 or more, you may also request this keepsake boxed set of life's Christmas shoe ornaments. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,000 or more to help provide over 275 pairs of shoes or two children with corrective cleft palate surgeries, and you may request our Majesty Bronze Sculpture. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. But we literally stopped by the road where uh, I say we knew we would bring them shoes and I'm confident that we will because children like these need shoes all over the world. And you know, it's amazing. You may say, why would they stop and let you take a picture with them? Well, the truth is they stopped because I just got out and sat down here on the road and smiled at them and they came over and started sitting down by me. Then we explained to the parents through our missionary interpreter that our plan was to come right back to this area, this village, and bring shoes. And so that is our intention, but it's gonna take you making that possible. And I'm asking you to give as many pairs of shoes as you can to put on these beautiful, beautiful feet of these beautiful children. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your help. Now I can hear you, you're thinking, Where's your calendar? It's not even Thanksgiving yet. But here's the deal. We have to be able to get um, the gifts in, buy the shoes, and get the shoes there so they're there for Christmas morning. So please, would you go to your phone? Would you give the very best possible gift you've ever given? Take some of the stuff that you don't need for your family for Christmas, and let's change the lives of these children. And you can either go online to lifetoday.org, or you can dial that number on your screen. But wouldn't it be a joy on Christmas Day to sit around with your own little shoes and pray for the families that you, you have impacted their lives. They'll never be the same again because you gave as you celebrated the birth of Christ. And remember, if you need help, we're here. We're always here for you. You can write down that number and anytime if you want to call and say, hey, would you pray for me? It would be our absolute joy. So thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you again. God bless you.
Belonging in Me with Sheila Walsh Study Guide, available now online. I think a lot of time in suffering, we don't want an explanation from God as much as we want an experience with God. And Voskamp, next week. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.